0: All right, so we are going to be, as I said, in luke four thirty one through forty four and i 'll start us this morning by reading that to us and He went down to Capernaum, uh, a city in, of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority, and in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, "Ha! what have you done what?" have you to do with us jesus of nazareth have you come to destroy us i know who you are the holy one of god <clears throat> but jesus rebuked him saying be silent and come out of him and when the demon had thrown him on the uh, down in the midst he came out of him having done him no harm and they were all amazed and said to one another who what is this word for for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports of him about him Went out to every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother in law was ill with high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all of those who had uh, any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them. of Judea. And we get to see how this passage ends the way it begins. It begins with Jesus teaching and he is starting to develop this reputation for what type of teacher he's going to be and what type of person he is and who he is. We start to see that take shape here in Luke. And there's something that's that's very powerful about a, a reputation that that word for us today uh, can sometimes have a, a, a negative connotation. We say, Well, you know, she she's got a rep or or he's got a rep, and like that all of a sudden means something like negative, right? That we, we think of this as a reputation as something that is that is possibly a bad thing to have. But a reputation really is just something that that helps to describe your actions and your identity your actions and your identity. And that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing, we're seeing Jesus' actions and his identity revealed in this passage, and he's starting to develop this reputation. And um, we do homeschool at our house, which is uh, kind of fun. I say we do homeschool. Kendall does homeschool at our house. Um, <laughs> let's just be real. <laughs> I try. I, I really do try to help. Uh, my, my version of helping and this whole homeschool thing, is finding uh, good programs for them to watch on PBS. Like, that's what I like to do. Anybody else PBS fans out there? Cool, there's like three of us. Um, <laughs> and y'all are probably watching Downton Abbey. You're not even watching the educational stuff. And don't try to sell to me that Downton Abbey is educational. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> you, that's right. So that's my, that's my uh, contribution to the homeschooling thing. I'm, fi- I'm finding things on PBS for the kids to watch. Um, and they like it because they get to watch TV, and it's fun. And You know, it is an interesting way of learning, okay? So just give me a break. You can learn through TV. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank God for PBS. Um, so we were thumbing through PBS the other night, and I came across this program, and I didn't know what was going on in our homeschool, because I said... Um, Kindle does it. And uh, she said, we were learning about this guy, and we stopped on Thomas Alva Edison and the story of Thomas Alva Edison, which just, you know, as a side note, um, Alva will probably give you a reputation as well. That's probably not on the top of the baby name list for 2014 or 2015, um, but that was his name, Thomas Alva Edison. We often just know him as Thomas Edison uh, or Edison, you talk about Edison's inventions all the time, and Edison was, uh, has a reputation. Now, I, when I say that word Edison, you all have this construct in your mind about something that Edison did, right? So who's, who's got something in their mind already for what Edison has done? Yeah, we've got some kids in the back. that like throw, throw out some of these things. What is Edison known for? Phonograph, one of his first and like most popular inventions. The light bulb? He had a light bulb. Edison was known for all of these great things, right? He was an incredible, incredible inventor. And what was so interesting about Edison is that um, he was actually the first one who made a profession out of inventing. Like the very first one to do this. Before that, per, uh, inventing was something that you did as a tinker trade, something that you did on the side. You couldn't really make a lot of money off of it, so you had a, a day job, and then you spent your, your night time doing some inventions and things like that. This was what he sought out to do, that he was an inventor. He put together a team of people when that had never been done before. He put together this 5,000-square-foot uh, laboratory, where he went to develop all of his all of his things, and then soon when he when, when some of his smaller inventions started to gain some some notoriety, um, he started to develop more investors and more people who said you know i 'm seeing what you 're doing now I want to invest in what you 're doing I, I believe in what you 're doing there and so he started to get investors and he started to be more well funded and that 's when he hit the phonograph and he kind of Stumbled upon the phonograph based on somebody else's invention and said, "You know, I can figure out how to record sound." It's incredible to think that there was a time before now. We're recording sound this morning on on a little device that's this big and it's digital and it's very cool. This was a was a rather big device that he's recording sound to, and he invented this, which then spawned other inventions and the way that it just changed and shaped people's minds, but in all of these things, Edison would have to go out and and display these inventions, right? He had to go out and tell people about all these inventions that he made, and he started to develop this reputation through news media and through uh, these exhibitions that he would have, and a lot of his time was spent just going out and showing these miraculous things to people and creating, I mean, it was creating awe, it was creating... like a fever of, of, of the people that were excited about this new technology that was coming out. But that wasn't what Edison really was into. All those things that Edison um, had to do as a part of his inventions to, to keep, kind of keep the machine going, if you will, um, wasn't really what made him tick. What made him tick was he was a problem solver, he was wired, he was hardwired to solve problems. And he would even say in interviews that he wasn't very smart, that he didn't have this incredible education, this this awesome upbringing. He didn't go through um, all the top Ivy League schools. And he he just wasn't a mathematically brilliant man. He was just a problem solver. The way he was hardwired, he figured things out and was solving problems. And even after... A lot of his notoriety, if you will, um, people ha- were still expecting, you know, the next great thing from Edison. All he wanted to do was go back to doing what he was hardwired to do, which was solving those problems. Right, which that, that became his, that really was his identity was was to be a problem solver. So as, as he gets older later in life and as he, he tries to solve other problems that aren't maybe as attractive, they don't get the, the, uh, the notoriety that things like the phonograph and the light bulb got, he felt, as, as his wife would say and as his peers would say, he, he even started to, um, to have a joy inside of him that he didn't have during the phonograph and during the light bulb and during the time when it, where the fame and the notoriety took him away from what his real identity was. That all those things um, that he was doing to have to get more investors and get more, um, kind of stay on top of things, that was taking him away from his true purpose, his true um, calling in doing those things. And he had developed this this reputation for being um, an incredible uh, visionary, uh, an incredible showman. Even though he didn't like it, he still got out there and was an incredible showman, able to demonstrate all of his stuff. Um, but what he really, the way he was really hardwired was to be this problem solver. And as I read through the passage uh, and and was studying on this, you know, I was I was drawn to kind of the middle of this passage uh, more than the the first and the last part of it, right? There was something that was just kind of like the people who were intrigued by Edison, who really loved to see what he was going to do next, and they loved to come and, and see the phonograph in use. They wanted to come and see this light bulb that burned for longer than, than a couple of minutes or an hour, which is what a lot of the other uh, light bulbs had been designed to do before that. They wanted to see this thing. You know, there's something about these miracles that Jesus is performing that we, that we read about this morning that's attractive. We just, we, we are, we are kind of hardwired to, to want to, to want to have a sign, to want to have this, like, this, we want to feel, and we want to touch it, and we want to see it, and we, we, we are drawn to this kind of power, if you will, these signs of the miraculous, and um, I think that's a good place for us to spend some time today, but it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the, um, the end of this message out now, so that this is the point, is that um, the way this passage ends and the way this passage begins through Jesus' teaching is why he came. And it's something that, that, that is uh, reiterated here at the end of the passage, where it says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He was sent for this purpose. Now that's not to discount or discredit any of the other things that Jesus does when he's on earth. Healing was certainly a big part of his ministry. Uh, miracles were also uh, important to his ministry. But as we're going to learn today, those things, the miracles, the healing, those things are actually a just a foreshadowing of the amazing things that Christ would do for us, that God was on a mission to do for us, that really those things are just a shadow of of the greatness of God. So let's look at this first way that we describe Jesus uh, and his reputation, the way that Jesus became known, and that's as a teacher. And so it says here at the, at the beginning of our of our passage this morning that as he's in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, they were astonished at his teachings because his word possessed authority. So we're starting to see Jesus as this teacher whose word has authority. And this has got to be very new and very interesting to the people of this day because um, it was very different from what they had experienced. When when they were used to being taught, they were taught by these Pharisees who we're in many ways just regurgitating a lot of the things that their teachers had said to them, so they're kind of um, they're getting the word um, taught to them in a way that even is a little uh, heady, right? It's a little uh, maybe even above above their um, their comprehension level, and it's also coming kind of secondhand. So they're they're teaching the way that their teachers taught them, and then comes along Jesus, and Jesus speaks with authority, and why? Because he's the son of God. And now you have the author teaching you. So, so different from anything else that they had experienced to date. Now, we have have an author in the room. Where's Miss Eileen? She's in the back there, Miss Eileen. I could read one of Miss Eileen's books, and I'll just be honest, I haven't read one of Miss Eileen's books. Uh, But if I did... If I read one of Ms. Eileen's books, um, I could probably give you a pretty good report from, from one of Ms. Eileen's books. But if she stood up here as the author and spoke about her work and talked about these characters and talked about this storyline and talked about this plot, she would speak in a way that has much greater authority than I ever could because she's the author of this story, the author of this these characters the author the author of this entire um, storyline and that's what we get to see with this teacher in Jesus that this was not just another rabbi this was not just another teacher in a synagogue they were astonished because they're hearing the author speak the word they're, he- they're hearing it from the source. They're hearing it from, pardon the expression, the horse's mouth, which is this awful expression. Like, why would you want anything from the horse's mouth? That's, that's, not, that's not a good thing. Um, but you guys can understand that what, that, what that means, to hear it directly from the source. And this is astonishing to them. This is amazing that they're able to hear this from them. From him. And this was the word of God. And it's re it's it's reinforced here in Second John chapter one, verse nine. And I'll read that for us. It says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So we're seeing that reinforced through this passage in Second John that this teaching is that Christ is giving, um, allows us to be able to see the heart of our Father and the Son. That He is teaching with authority because He is the authority. It's pretty powerful when you're able to have the author of Scripture among you teaching. And we can see how astonishing it was. And while He's in the synagogue here, um, He does what is recorded as uh, his the first recorded healing in Luke. Now, it's not to say that it is the very first healing or very first miracle that Jesus does, but it is the first recorded miracle that we see in the book of Luke. And um, it's pretty amazing. We'll go there now, and it says, In the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you done? See, Jesus had this authority that we just talked about as the teacher because he is the authority. He is the one true son of God. Even the demons knew it. They identified him as that. But he also comes in this power. So Jesus has this power that is, that is palpable. People knew that he had this power because no one had ever done the things that Jesus was doing in front of them. And so it causes us to ask, what is this power? And, and how does Jesus do this? And Matthew 12 gives us a glimpse into that when Matthew 12, 28 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So we're seeing through Matthew, that this power that Jesus has given is coming from God, is coming from the Holy Spirit. That God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power to do these things. So we're seeing more revealed about the reputation of Jesus in this amazing power that's being displayed through the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit was was working with him and in him and through him, and Jesus does something very interesting right here too. He silences the demons from speaking his name, but weren't they speaking the truth? I mean, why would why would Jesus try to stop them from saying this? They they were telling the truth, right? He is he is the Holy Son of God. Well, of course, well they knew him well. It says in James two nineteen that. You believe that God is one, and you do well, but even the demons believe, and they shudder. And they were certainly shuddering at this because they knew who he was. But they weren't trying to help Jesus spread the gospel, right? They weren't weren't there saying, hey, guys, look, it's him. Like, that's not their motive in all of this. That's not what the demons are trying to do. They're not trying to help him in any way. On the contrary, they're trying to thwart his plan. See, there was a timing for God, and God is a God who is on time in everything that he does. In every miracle that he performs, in every way that he works, he works on time. And we're seeing here that Jesus was not going to let these demons thwart his plan, that he shut them up in that moment and said, be silent. And so he was even in control of, of that message and how he revealed himself because God reveals himself in a place and in a way that's on his own terms. And that is something that we can, we can see through today's scripture and, and throughout scripture, that God is an on-time God and he does things on his own terms. The other thing that we're starting to see here too, so we've seen that Jesus has this reputation for being a teacher and this reputation for being a healer but we're also seeing Jesus as a missionary it's kind of interesting to think about Jesus as a missionary isn't it that he is he's traveling around so he starts this this passage that we're in this morning by traveling Say, it's saying that he went to Galilee and then the way that the passage ends Saying that he must preach the good news of the kingdom in other towns as well, so he went on preaching in the synagogues of Judea and so to give you some, some scope for what that looks like, Galilee and Judea, this is about a forty mile um, stretch here that he's, that he 's preaching in in this, this one part of Luke and uh, to put that in perspective, think about uh, the, the area between the pearl downtown and then all the way out to Texas State University. So that's quite a, a long way. Um, I mean, even for those who don't like to travel outside the loop, anybody else just like to stay inside San Antonio? Like, it's, I, like in your car, 40 miles is a bit of a journey, but Jesus doesn't have a car, right? So it's a little harder for him to get around back then. But he has this purpose in teaching and in healing and in being sent to these places. And so he's constantly moving. You know, one of the ways that we describe Jesus uh, is as Messiah, and Messiah really means sent one. So Jesus was sent. And not only was he sent from town to town, but he was also sent by God. See, God was sending Jesus long before He went to Judea. That we have this this look throughout Scripture pointing to Jesus as being a sent one. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, this entire book that we have whispers Jesus' name. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament as being someone who is sent for us, sent on our behalf. So Jesus really ends up becoming a missionary incarnate, like the, the very first, the very greatest missionary that there was. And he tells us, he shows us, rather, what that looks like through his own ministry and him being, him going from town to town to town and teaching this word. You see, Christ was sent to us because he was on a redemptive mission. And all of this that we see this morning, the 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 healing that we see, um, and the casting out of demons, those things, as I mentioned before, were just a foreshadowing of what Christ really came to do for us. He came to heal us, and he did. And he healed in very practical ways. It said that of the multitudes who came to him, he placed his hands on every One of them, each of them, healing them. Each of them, healing them one by one. And in that way, he also came for each of us. He came for all mankind, but we need to grasp, we need to get a hold of Jesus coming for me and coming for you. That he wants this personal connection with you. That he wants to know you intimately, closely. That his healing is for you, individually, in the same way that he healed those in that day. And that healing was this awesome way for Jesus to show in that moment that he cared for them. Right? That he wanted to restore them back to health. But even that was temporary. That there was, there was something miraculous. It was miraculous for Jesus to provide this healing. right? We still see this today. We believe as Christians in the miraculous power of Jesus' healing today for our bodies. He has, God has this, um, he wants us to be well, right? He has a, a respect for life because he is the author of life. He's the creator of life, right? He He designed life itself. So when we ask for healing today, we're not asking for something that um, we shouldn't be asking for. God, um, Jesus himself, provided healing to people. But even that healing that we would pray for today and the healing that Jesus provided in that moment was a temporary healing. It wasn't an everlasting healing. None of the people that, that Jesus healed in their physical bodies remain alive today. And as much for the healing as we, we would pray for, we believe in God providing that healing, but that healing of our physical bodies is temporary. All of us in this room are going to die. Our physical bodies will give out. They will die. None of us will, will get to escape that. None of us will. But Jesus offers healing that goes beyond all of that. That is a healing that is a redemptive work with our Father. That what He really does for us, what Jesus does for us, is He provides us with eternal life, a life that isn't bound to a body that will decay and will die. And when we get a hold of that, when we think about the way that Christ came that we would have eternal life in him and we accept that and we we acknowledge that we trust in that and we receive that that saving from him that life begins then like we have this amazing ability to now rest in the redemptive the finished work of the cross and say we surrender And as this part of us surrendering, we end up gaining everything. We end up gaining eternal life. That the healing that Jesus was providing in that day, while it was temporary, was pointing to an eternal healing that he would have for us, an eternal life that he would give to us through his death, burial, and resurrection. That that is what all of this was pointing to. The physical healing that he offers is a picture of a restored life that he provides to us. That He came to give us the eternal. And what Jesus is doing here cannot be duplicated. There is no other way. There is no other means for salvation other than Jesus. And even the healings that he's done here cannot be duplicated. And we can try to seek all the signs and all the wonders and all the things in other places, but there will be nothing like the true healing power of Christ. It's unmatched. But still, we yearn for that, right? We, there's something about us that wants to, that wants to see the sign. It, we, we, want to, we want to put our faith in something tangible that we can, we can hold on to. And this is not a new phenomenon with us that we've been seeking these signs and wonders forever. You know, even all the way back to Exodus and, and uh, verse 7, of, uh, or chapter 7, where God is about to send Moses um, into Pharaoh's house and tell him that you're going to free my people. And he performs these miraculous signs in front of Pharaoh, the first of which is him throwing down his staff and it becoming a serpent. Well, Pharaoh says, well, I can, I can do that. I've got magicians who can, who can help with that. So he brings in these magicians, and they do the same thing. Pharaoh himself thought, "I've I've got a better way. I know I can do the same things as 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 your God and what he's doing. So I can replicate that." And then we see that that was going to be a pattern for Pharaoh, at least for the next couple of signs that he has. That that even when uh, Moses would turn the Nile River into blood, Pharaoh says, "Well, my my magicians can do that as well, and they also turned water into." blood it seemed and then there were frogs that 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 became as a as a plague they were just overrunning everything and then pharaoh's men also created these frogs these magicians created these frogs and then it went beyond that where there were gnats and locusts and all these things that pharaoh's magicians could not do that they did not have the power of god and it says here in verses in in chapter 7 verse 5 it says that you'll perform many miraculous signs but but here's when, when people will recognize him as God. That the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my arms and bring out the people of Israel from among them. That that's when he, the Egyptians would really know who he was. That's right. When he freed his people. That that would be the, the true way that, that the Egyptians would know. That's when their hearts would, would suddenly realize just who God was, was when he freed his people. And that's the same sort of thing that Jesus offers for us. He offers freedom. He offers redemption. And in a way that no, no, no one else, nothing else can offer. No one else can match that. That we can, we can seek signs or we can seek a savior. We can look for a cosmic slot machine or we can put our hope in Christ alone. So our faith in Christ can't be based on what he can do for us, but it's based on who he is and what he's already done for us. That if our faith in Christ is is purely hinged upon what we gain out of this relationship, if we are looking for him to somehow make life easier for us, for him to somehow give us what we're looking for, for, um, for... health, wealth, and prosperity to come upon us, then we are seeking the wrong Savior because those things are temporary. Those things will fade away. But Scripture tells us that he went to prepare a place for us where neither moth nor rust destroy anything, an eternal home, one that goes beyond any sort of wealth that we could ever imagine here, that in our Father's house, he has many mansions, There's plenty of room for all of us. God ain't going to run out of room for us. I got news for you. There's plenty of room for all of us at his table and in his home. But what are we seeking this morning? Are we seeking a sign or are we seeking a savior? Are we looking for God to do something for us before we'll put our faith and our hope and our trust in him? Or are we willing to just surrender and rest in his finished work? Rest in his word. Are we looking for this cosmic slot machine or are we putting our hope in Christ alone? And we all have to answer those questions on a daily basis. On a daily basis because we all want to, it's in our nature, our sin nature, to want to be self-reliant. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Did you capture that? We're not sinners because of the things that we do, but rather we were born into a sin nature, and that's why we sin. And really, sinning just means missing the mark. It means that we are less than perfect. That's all that it means. But God doesn't want to keep us in a place where we feel trapped in that sin, where we feel like there's nothing that we could possibly do and there's no hope for me at all. I'm burdened by the sin. I am trapped in it. I'm too far gone. I'm not worthy of, of his love and of his salvation. He doesn't want us there. He doesn't want us there. He sent his one and only son so that we could have everlasting life. And that was the biggest, that was the biggest gift that had ever been given. And he gave it for all of us. He gave it in a way that he also healed. He healed them individually. And he came for us. He came for you and he came for me. And we don't have to carry those chains of sin and of shame and of uh, guilt anymore because he's freed us of all of those on the cross. And that's why Jesus was sent. He knew that from the very beginning. The purpose, as he says here, was to go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. He was sent for that purpose. Guys, he invites us to be a part of that purpose. He wants us to be a part of this redemptive work. He invites us into it. He's saying to each one of us this morning that he loves us, he cares for us, he wants the very best for us, but he wants us to join him on, on this mission that we were through the Great Commission asked to go into all the world and proclaim him as the Christ and to teach and to baptize. And this morning we get to experience that through baptism, that after our service today we're going to have a baptism and we get to experience that and, and participate in that. But there's an invitation to us all here to be a part of this amazing redemptive work. All it takes is surrender. We don't have to do anything more. There's nothing more that you have to say. There's nothing more that you have to do. All you have to do is surrender. What a beautiful thing, right? That all it is is us being able to say, not my way, but yours, Lord. And it starts right there. That's when healing can begin. And that's when we'll know Jesus as our healer, when we surrender to him if that's a sort of healing that you seek this morning, a healing that uh, goes beyond any physical healing, but to a spiritual healing that offers life everlasting, well, that's available to you this morning too. So Father, I pray, as believers who come to your table this morning, Lord, Let us trust in the finished work of the cross. Let us rejoice in it. And those who need to hear you, Lord, who need to trust you this morning for the first time, I pray that they would just, uh, just, Open out their arms to you, God, and receive you and surrender to you, God. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the ways that he came to teach and to heal and to be sent That through these ways, Lord, we would come to learn more about you. That we would experience your healing. And that you would invite us to be a part of this mission with you, Lord. Father, we thank you for all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Can you stand with me this morning?
1: So, who is... Who is Jesus and what has he done? Jesus is the Son of God. And what he has done is he was obedient to his Father who sent him on our behalf. Obedient unto death on a cross. And so, we have concluded this, 2 Corinthians 5 says, that one... Jesus has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so we believe today that Jesus died for us. And because he died for us, we can live But he didn't just die, he came back to life, and he lives today. And so we believe not only that Jesus died for us, but that he lives for us. And because he lives, we can know and learn from, like Brian was talking about, the author Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, and He lives. And so today, we don't just come to learn about somebody who was. We come to worship one who is. We come to celebrate that the one who is the I am still is. He lives, and because He lives, we can face tomorrow. And so Paul goes on to say here in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone believes in this Jesus who lives, who died and now lives, it says, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, and God is making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin for us, he who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So as we come to communion today, Communion is for those who believe, and so if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the author of all things, that he did die for you and on your behalf, that he poured out his blood so that your sins could be forgiven, and that he came back to life so that you might also live, if you believe that, then today we welcome you to come and partake in communion eat of the bread and drink of the cup and receive the grace that God has offered to you through His Son. As we get ready to do that, I just want to read this prayer to you. Incomprehensible, great and glorious God, I adore Thee and abase myself. I approach Thee mindful that I am less than nothing, a creature worse than nothing. My thoughts are not screened from thy gaze, my secret sins blaze in the light of thy countenance. Enable me to remember that blood which cleanseth all sin, to believe in that grace which subdues all iniquities, to resign myself to that agency which can deliver me from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Thou hast begun a good work in me and canst alone continue and complete it. Give me an increasing conviction of my tendency to err and of my exposure to sin. Help me to feel more of the purifying, softening influence of religion, its compassion, love, piety, courtesy, and employ me as thy instrument in blessing others. Give me to distinguish between the mere form of godliness and its power, between life and a name to live, between guile and truth, between hypocrisy and a religion that will bear thy eye. If I am not right, set me right, keep me right, and may I at last come to thy house in peace. Father, we thank you for the bread, and we thank you for the wine. They are reminders for us today of your body, which was broken and your blood, which was poured out so that we might receive forgiveness, freedom and liberty in Jesus name. We thank you for it and we receive it with glad and thankful hearts and all who those who believe it said, amen. Would you come and receive communion this morning?